then you know how you saw the instability questions? You win games. You don't lose to UVA and Kentucky at home. And you don't get trucked by Duke at home. That's how you solve instability questions. Welcome to the Yak Sports Podcast with Joe Deck and Leela McRae. Yak Sports Podcast is back. Joe Deck is with me. I'm Leela McRae. We have plenty to talk about. We got high school basketball wrapping up, wrestling to talk about locally. Uh, and we also have James Kasak, former Riverheads Gladiator soccer star, hokey soccer player, and he's moved on playing soccer after college. So a lot to be proud of there. We have an interview with him coming up in the B Block. But first, Joe, let's talk some high school basketball and uh, let's start with the girls this week as uh, the news that broke late Monday was because of a um, Fluvanna upset over in the Jefferson district, the Wilson girls who looked like a lock to be the, uh, the second team from the Shenandoah represented in that region two or three C tournament. Uh, they're going to be sitting at home and that's just a terrible break for a, for a girls team that, you know, I had said I, I thought they were maybe a little bit underachieving during the season, but they had got it going. They won six of their last seven. They really looked like they were going to be there. And uh, they got in a position where they didn't control their own destiny and uh, their destiny gets, you know, their their potential gets taken away from them as uh, they're going to have to sit at home and move on to spring sports now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, so let me. Yeah, I don't like it before you tell people what, how it happens. I, I don't like it. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at this because you mentioned it because of the outcome of the Jefferson District Wilson's out. So in region 3C, yeah. The Shenandoah District gets one guaranteed team. The Valley and Seminole and Jefferson get two. So, and I'm guessing that's just because of the number of 3C teams that are in those districts compared to the Shenandoah District would be my guess. I don't know that for sure. But the, there's one Shenandoah and then one at large. So, um, on we'll get to the boys part of this equation here in a minute, but girls, uh, as you said, we thought Wilson was going to get in, but because Fluvanna got an upset, they take the second Jefferson district spot and that allows, uh, Western Albemarle to get the at large bid because of PowerPoints. Although that doesn't happen if Broadway beats TA tonight, because then TA will get in over Western Albemarle. But either way, it either goes, way, Wilson's out. Wilson doesn't get in because Fluvanna won. Um, I guess, and, you know, I was talking to Patrick Hyde about this on Twitter, and this all this information is via Patrick Hyde, by the way, this from the Stanton Newsleader and friend of the podcast. But I, to me, I don't get why this why some of these regions are making it more difficult than it needs to be. Just take the top eight in PowerPoints and just move yes, on. Yes, because you're still going to get most of those districts are still going to get two teams represented. Mm-hmm. It's still going to work out that way because the teams are going to beat up on each other somewhat in district. So you're probably still going to get one district that only has one team in maybe, maybe two, but they're going to be the ninth and 10th ranked teams. And you have this system that works pretty good. And a lot of these teams do play each other in non-district games. There's enough, you know, fusion of non-district games there. Like just, I, I, I don't see why it's just not top eight and let's move on. I, I don't understand that. I, I just don't like it that the Shenandoah only gets one. I know there's only two teams eligible to to be in that tournament. 
I just don't like it if it's uneven. Uh, if you have any of the districts, make the districts all even. If not, then just do top eight. It, it would work its way out more times than not better than this. And, and I guess if they want to do district tournaments, and that's the reason we do this, um, because district tournaments do make some of these schools money. Okay, but then just have like each district have an automatic bid, and it's determined how the district wants to do it, whether it's regular season or district tournament. Do because, one automatic bid, and then well, that's why that's what I'm saying, yeah. and then do yeah. the rest. The rest are determined by the highest power points, and not something weird. I don't know. I just think it's weird. Um, that, yeah. Well, let's jump to the boys. I mean, I think the boys help round the story out because the boys. Well, to, yes tomorrow no. night radio <laughs> is going to call a game yeah uh, you and i'll be there calling the game for 1240 and you have four defiance wilson playing this game tomorrow and only one of those teams advances my issue my thing there is i'm not as up in arms there because i think both teams are near the bottom of those well, eight i was gonna spots. say top eight neither one would be in yeah and and so i'm i'm, I'm kind of okay because it kind of worked its way out it's going to work its way out with the win. That team probably would be around the eighth spot. I, I'm, I'm, I, that one didn't get me all fired up like this one. I'm, I kind of like the play in. I don't like how two or three years ago, it seemed like everybody made the playoffs Four Shenandoah district teams were going to the uh, region two B playoff and four bull run teams. It just seemed like we need to narrow this thing down sooner. And so with Wilson being in that region I, I think it helps our local teams start to get sorted out sooner. I'm fine with Fort boys or Wilson boys being eliminated after tomorrow because neither one of those teams can stake some claim that they've really are a state contender. Wilson has not really had that great a season. And sure, they're sitting in front of Fort Defiance and they've beat Fort Defiance twice. So it does kind of make me wonder why they even have to play this game. But Fort Defiance came on strong at the end of the year, and, and they're trying to build and go on a run. And, and, a, and basketball's built that way. We see it every March. There's some kind of team that, you know, gets in the tournament. You know, JMU did it one time. You know, every year there's these teams that make their run at the end season, and, and there is something. It's nice. It's, it's good. But I just hate so many teams in the playoffs, and so I don't mind that a team's getting eliminated tomorrow night. Yeah, I'd like to see two local teams going on. I'd like to see Wilson on the girls' side going in because I they are a top eight team. The boys' side just doesn't give me that argument as much, but uh, it's where we are at. I guess it's a four-year cycle that it's going to be like this. Um, I wish it was a little bit different. Yeah, I don't know if it's if the four-year. I know the four-year cycle is these teams being locked in the region, but I don't know if the region can change their rules. Yeah, that's true. Or not. That's true. That's true. Um, so like we mentioned just having the top eight, that's how Region 2B is doing it. Region 2B is yeah. just saying your top eight teams in PowerPoints so go. If you get five from Bull Run and three from Shannon, that's the way it is. That's Yeah, fine. or one from whatever Buckingham's in now. Um, but <laughs> well, it, they got to have the ranking to make right, it. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So the Shenandoah District determined their spot between Wilson and Fort, who are the two teams in 3C, would be based on district record and district record alone. Not head-to-head. Not overall record, not PowerPoints, district record, and district record alone. So because they ended the season with the same district record because Fort beat Buffalo Gap and Wilson lost to Stanton and on the last day of the regular season on Friday, um, which I'll talk about that Wilson-Stanton game a little bit, um, that, that causes a tie there and allows Fort to play for their season. And Wilson has to play another game to try to move on. And 
I would imagine the seating will be done by PowerPoints, but who knows? Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that nothing about the way this region has decided to do things makes a whole lot of sense to me. But to be and to be fair, I mean, whoever advances in that game tomorrow, they're going to get killed. Whoever I'm they sure play they're on the, the road and they're going to be somewhere tough. I, I wouldn't take Fort or Wilson against a single team in the region tournament. Yeah, and they're going to be Spotswood or what? Charlottesville's high in the guy's side, I think. Charlottesville's the one seed. So if they would play Charlottesville, well, but OK, so in PowerPoints, yes. But Western Albemarle beat Charlottesville in the Jefferson District Tournament. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's the, I think they were the second <laughs> highest team in wow. the PowerPoints. They've swept Charlottesville. They beat them all three times. They've played them. Um, and Western Albemarle swept West, uh, Wilson. So bad news for and Wilson. Spotswood if that's who they play, they're going to lose uh, probably again to Western Albemarle. Uh, Western Albemarle's really good. Charlottesville seems to be pretty good. Spotswood's good. Uh, and then we just go Spotswood down the lost. list. Yeah, I know Spots with lost to Harrisonburg. But, you know, I mean, That's they, fine. They perform well in the playoffs. Yeah, They got to buy into the Valley District Tournament's another weird thing that we could spend a long time on and how they yeah, let's jerry, past how they gerrymandered <laughs> that to make sure they can get as many teams into region tournaments as they can. Harrisonburg's in the semifinals no matter what. Um, setting up tomorrow's game that we're going to call on the radio, uh, I think tip at 6.30, 12.40 a.m., uh, that's the plug for us tomorrow. Um, you know, you saw Wilson play just a couple of nights ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, you know, what's your look coming into this game as they're going to face Fort Defiance, who's been surging overall? Sure. I haven't seen Fort play in person, so I, I can't talk about Fort, but I can. I've seen Wilson play Stanton in the regular season finale. It's the one game, so it's a one-game sample. I realize it's not a sample of their whole year, but I felt like I could see glimpses of that team and just kind of that game was seemed like a microcosm of their season because their season's been up and down. They beat Stuart Traff. They're the only team in the Shandua district to beat Stuart Traff. And there were moments in that Stanton game where you saw and you're like, oh, okay, this is how they did it. They make shots. Uh, they have a couple guys who really step up in clutch situations. Their problem against Stanton, and I, maybe it's a Stanton problem because it's a huge rivalry. The last two last year, there was an incident on the floor this year, we got real close to an incident on the floor. And I guess what I hope to see from Wilson when they play Fort is if there's a couple calls or a few calls that don't go their way, which I will say, I thought the officials made mistakes that hurt both teams. Officials are human. So if you go into a VHSL game thinking every call is going to be called 100% correctly how you think it should be, uh, don't pay the $5 because you're going to end you're going to leave very unhappy. Um, but that being said, I thought both teams were the benefit, uh, beneficiary of some iffy calls, in my opinion. But Wilson, Stanton, when they got the iffy calls, the you know, Coach Mickens might say something to the officials saying, hey, I thought this, and maybe, you know, say it in some different ways. Nothing inappropriate, but just, you know, working the official a little bit. But the players seem to keep their composure. Wilson, on the other hand, their players seem to have a meltdown anytime a call didn't go their way, especially in the fourth quarter, and it cost them the game. Uh, there was there was a play that actually that almost the reason we almost had another incident on the floor was a pass got stolen. It was a legit steal, uh, and the kid who will remain nameless that threw the pass was frustrated. In 
transitioned behind, knew he wasn't going to catch the guy and stop the shot, so he just shoved him in the back. It was an intentional foul. The officials called it, and I think that helped de-escalate things quickly, which I'm glad the officials did that. But to me, in that moment, I was like, well, okay, let's say the shot goes in. Shot goes in. It's a nine-point game. It's like four minutes left, I felt, I think, or three minutes left in the, in the game when that happened. You don't love that situation, but you're down nine. You have the ball. Because you did that, it's an intentional foul. He shoots the two foul shots. He ended up missing the shot, so I guess that's the only good thing that happened on that foul. He makes both free throws, and they get the ball. So they end up down 11. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, put the kids to bed. It's over. Like, that's what happens in that scenario. So Wilson, for this game, and I'm sure Coach Hartman is talking to his team about this too, they have got to keep their composure. I, The yeah. last two times I've seen Wilson play, uh, was last year against Lee at the time and this year against Stanton, and both times their kids lost their cool, and it just led to a bad scenario where they end up losing the game because of it. So and you, they've got to find a way. Emotions. They've got to find a way to keep that. It's okay to play with a little emotion, but you have to keep it in yeah. check and can't let it get out you, of control. It wouldn't be surprising emotions being high in this game because it's win or loser, win oh, or go yeah. home. You, you either win or your season's done. So wouldn't be surprising to see you know their emotions tested at some point in that game even though it's a team they've beaten twice Fort Defiance playing better basketball than they were most of this season so uh, that'll be interesting to watch I'm glad that uh, we'll be there tomorrow night so once again listen to us <laughs> uh, and I guess while you're listening to this podcast we've probably already been on air I'm plugging, plugging yeah. something that's already happened yeah yeah oh well hey you should have been listening on Tuesday night to 1240 that's right so uh, a couple of other teams draft we, we've said it a couple times we're interested to see where they're seated here in Region 2B, see if they're different style of play, if they get matched up with some bull run teams, if if they can, you know, they're probably gonna, they're probably better than a lot of these bull run teams. Not not all of them, but, you know, the lower half of the field at least. Um, mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see if they get matched up against some of the other top bull run teams, how they match up. We'd be surprised if East Rock is someone they're able to take down, but it will be interesting to see if they can get there and move on to states. Uh, on the girls' side draft um was a top 2b team we watching for them buffalo gap i'm just kind of disappointed they they finished really weak they lost their last seven um and this is a team that's only a couple years removed from deep state runs state uh final run just a couple years ago um so we're looking for that program to kind of rebound amaya lucas is a good player there but i guess just not enough around her this year to really have a good uh solid season and um, as for Riverheads, boys and girls, they're off for a week. They get to play next week in 1B tournaments. Uh, Riverheads, the number one seed in boys, will host. It looks like they will host um, Franklin. I believe Franklin. It could be William Campbell. Sorry. And then the girls, uh, they're number two seed, oh. and they will host William Campbell uh, next Monday. So uh, as we're recording next week, which we, we know more about that, if you're looking ahead to Riverheads, beginning of the week, Monday and Tuesday, girls play Monday, boys Tuesday. Moving on to wrestling, Riverheads once again, Region 1B champion, fourth year in a row. Um, and the Shenandoah District, again, they didn't win the Shenandoah District. Wilson has strong Shenandoah District wrestling. But Riverheads goes on into the region, wins their region. They have a list of wrestlers here that are looking to win state titles, guys that won their uh 
weight class region. I'd look out for Camden Cook Cash. He won states last year at a lower weight class. He's wrestling at 120 this year. Um, going to be interesting to see what he can do there. Excuse me, he's at uh, the Robeson kid. See if he can get a state title. Everybody's going to be pushing for him. But when you talk region one or class one wrestling, you're talking about Grundy, Rural Retreat, and that's who Riverheads has competed with these last couple of years. Those two teams have finished one, two, the last two years. Uh, Riverheads, I think three years ago, came second in the States. Um, there's, a, there's enough spread this year that there's some thought that Riverheads might have a little better of a chance to you know get into that top two, maybe see what you can do top one if you get an upset or two, uh, and actually win the state title for team um, because – Rural retreats bringing a lot of heat, and maybe there might be enough spread of points out. Uh, but these last two years, Grundy's really run away with it. Riverheads is hoping to uh, get similar point title, point title, and maybe Grundy come back a little closer to them. Yeah, we would love to see that happen. Obviously, for Riverheads to get a team state title as well as some individuals to rack up some state titles there at the state championship. I would, I would expect some individuals to. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And, uh, you know, we'll keep our eye on 2B as well. Uh, I know Strasburg ended up winning the tournament, but Stanton had a pretty good finish as a team there, second place in the region, and that's great to see. And obviously, you know, when you're looking at Crawford from Stanton and Saunders from Draft as well as Fitzgerald from Gap, I mean, those are kind of the, the big three from this area that you expect to, to have uh, hopefully good showings in the state tournament. Yeah, I think 2B, we're looking at more individual mm -hmm. uh, in the class two there. Um, I, I don't think we're as hopeful for a, a team one there. But you, you never know. You get everybody going. You get some momentum going. You get enough guys out there wrestling. You, you never know where a team can finish. I'd be maybe surprised first, but let's see how high right. one of those teams can maybe jump. Uh, in Region 3C, uh, uh, Wilson has some strong guys uh, with Holmes and Wilson and Van, um, excuse me, Sprouse. Ford has some strong guys with uh, Bryant and Roadcap and, and some other guys. So we'll be looking for those guys, see what they can do at state tournament. Um, but this weekend's it for wrestling. And this, yep. this is back. Uh, this is where Tom Jacobs used to have his fun. He'd go down to Salem and spend all day and cover it all. And uh, we miss Tom uh, being our wrestling expert on here, but uh, we we're definitely looking for all the local schools to perform well and uh, the individual. So we watch for that this weekend. I'm sure News Leader will have a lot of updates, uh, as well as DNR up there. Uh, Cody, I'm sure with the uh, um, 3C and all those schools up there, you should be seeing stuff out of DNR as well. So let's move to college basketball. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Virginia Tech, they got a big, much-needed win to kind of stop their insane slide that they were on. Uh, the win over Pitt helps calm things down a little bit. It was a big win. Justin Robinson was in the building. So, I mean, that's always great for Virginia tech fans. And, uh, again, let's just talk about the difference. Uh, we're not going to, you know, bash Fuente this week, but just one of the <laughs> things I saw on Twitter that I was like, okay, well, if that's something you don't see from another program that's prominent on the campus, Mike young bought the student section pizza before the game as a thank you. Yeah. I also realize that's a lot easier to do in the basketball arena than it is the football stadium maybe, but it's a nice gesture. Uh, and I thought it, it's a way he's interacting with the students that the other one is not, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the equivalent for Fuente to do is, but yeah, there, there's, we're not even headed that direction with Fuente, but let's stay off Fuente coach Yon. It, it was a good kind of rebound refresh kind of win uh, with that slide 
we lost to Boston College twice. We lost to Georgia Tech, uh, Miami. There's some teams in there that, you know, the way we were rolling before that, you wouldn't have expected losses to all those teams. So it was good to get a win against Pitt. We got Miami Wednesday. But then we got three really tough games. So it was really important to get on the winning side there against Pitt. Hopefully we can keep it going at home against Miami. But then we got three tough ones. It's a late game against Miami, too, 9 o'clock. Ugh. Yeah. Hey, we used to always be that 9 o'clock game. That's where they shove those games nobody wants to watch, apparently. So well, Yeah, I hope I can stay up and watch it. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it needs to be a win. Hopefully we're winning. It'll keep you, keep you motivated to stay yeah, awake. Yeah, if we're winning. If we're losing, <laughs> it'll be real easy to fall asleep. But, yeah, we need to... We need to win that Miami game because you're right. The next three are definitely all losses, and you're looking at Clemson and Notre Dame to close out, which I think you need to, probably need to win both of those two. UVA, they you know have kind of righted the ship. They've gotten mm-hmm. you know wins in five of their last six. They're only lost to Louisville out of these out of this stretch, and it's kind of the opposite of the stretch they were doing before then. And that's when teams were people were saying they weren't a tournament team. Well, I think it was justified to say they didn't look like a tournament oh, yeah. team because if they're going to lose to teams like NC State and Syracuse and Boston College, you're not a tournament team. That's why we're not a Virginia Tech's not a tournament team now. But since then, they've rebounded, got wins against Florida State, um, taking care of business against Notre Dame and Clemson and, and Carolina this weekend. And uh, they look like they should be in the tournament. And I really I, – I still don't like their style of play. Watching them play really just – grinds me up because it's not interesting even though i don't like them it's still not interesting it's coaching man he's a good coach i'll give him that credit he is a good coach he's getting what he can out of him he he got him back positive after not performing well so i'll give him credit and this you know when they make the tournament you know it's it's on him it's on the coach there he's done a great job with them and 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 you've seen the same kind of rebound from them before you know, we we always like to bring it up. They lost as a number one seed to a 16 seed, but he got that that team's he knew the players he had, their mentality, and he got the most out of them the next season. And I talked to so many UVA fans that that say this too, and and I know we said in the podcast they probably don't win the national title last year if they don't lose that year before. They needed that rise. They needed that you know uh, equal reaction to uh, to what the negative was to come back with the positive. So. Um, you know, good on Coach Bennett. You know, my main thought on Saturday night when I had some friends in, we were watching the Tech game, so we were happy about what we were doing. And, and then we saw what, you know, UVA beat UNC. It's We were trying to think of the opportunity that Tony Bennett could get presented to him to make him leave UVA. And we really couldn't come up with something legitimate. Like, who, like, what job does he leave UVA for? He's sitting in a good spot in the ACC where he's won a national title. Unless he has NBA hopes, I just don't see what pulls him away from Charlottesville. I want it to happen. I just don't see what it is. Yeah. Um, I want to, before I try to take a stab at that, I want to talk about what, what the situation with UVA is. So, and I've seen a lot of posts saying UVA is definitely a tournament team. I can't believe they're still being called a bubble team and blah, 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 and all this. And I'm like, yeah, but um, this is a team that, did need overtime to beat Notre Dame, who's not a good team. This is a team that, as of Friday, now they beat Carolina Saturday. Carolina's not good, so I'm not sure how much that's going to help them. But Joe Lenardi had him listed as his last four with a bye, as an 11. So He's got, They got two losses, potential losses ahead of them at least. Right. So it's possible that they could drop, drop down. I don't know. Yeah. Um, drop out if they don't keep winning but you know we'll see 
But, I think the thing that's going to save them there, and, and then I'll let you come back to the Bennett yeah. hopefully getting pulled out of Charlottesville at some point. The thing that's going to save them is that the ACC is not putting a lot of teams in the tournament this year. And so at some point, I feel like there's, that selection committee is going to say the ACC only has three teams or four, you know, the number under UVA in we need to get more teams from the ACC. That's, you know, it's a historically good conference and, and, and that will help them. I think the ACC aura will help them. And also the fact that the big 10 isn't so, I I don't think the big 10 is that special this year. They're going to get more teams in the ACC. They have 11 in right now. They're pretty special. According to Lenardi, they what, got 11 in. What team in the Big Ten are you putting your money on to win the national championship, though? I think, uh, I, I, coming back to my point, that's that not saying that the conference is bad, is though. This year. I don't think the conference is bad, but the, that conference, it's not like they have, you know, four teams in the top 10 and stuff. Stuff that the ACC has done recently. You know, I, I'm not that blown away with the Big Ten. So I do think they're not just going to be automatically given all these spots to a big 10 or an sec, another power five where they're at some point, they're going to look at the numbers from the ACC and say, well, we need at least four teams from the ACC. And then UVA might benefit from that if they're on that bubble, but coming off a national championship, coming in with a coach that's that good. I'm not, I'm not going to really argue about that. Like, okay, then put them in. We can watch them losing the first round again. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think if they get to the ACC semifinals, they're in. You'd think, but Virginia Tech did that a bunch with Seth Greenberg and didn't get in, but that's fine. Well, okay, Virginia Tech doesn't have the resume that UVA does. Yeah, I'm also arguing about something, what, 10 years ago now? Yeah. We're we're talking about different stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, The one team that looks just doing a quick, search of where Tony Bennett's been and where he grew up. Yeah, Where's he going? Where, who's pulling him away from here? Who's getting him out of my way? I think the only team that could do it's the Wisconsin Badgers. Mm. He grew up in Wisconsin. His dad didn't used to work for Bo Ryan. Did, didn't he have that opportunity once before and he didn't go? I don't know. I thought it was Washington State before. Because that was another school where he was, but he didn't go. I don't think he goes to the Pac-12. But I yeah, don't think he Wisconsin goes to Washington State, but Wisconsin is a big enough brand, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe still, he stays forever. And <laughs> I just hate it, but yeah, <laughs> not a good year so, for the ACC. Mm. So week two of XFL, how much did you watch? I just watched the defenders game it, and it wasn't and see, because it, I'm not, that's not anything against the XFL. It was just, I was yeah. doing different stuff. So I didn't, no, and didn't I have time to watch too. The, the bad thing, though, is I enjoyed the, what I saw the first weekend. I knew that New York that the defenders were going to play this weekend at 2 o'clock on Saturday. I probably thought about it Thursday, maybe Friday morning I thought about it. I didn't think about the XFL again until I turned on the TV around 6 or 7 o'clock on Saturday. And, yeah, I was out and about and, you know, coaching the black team in Little League basketball. That's but true. I, I wasn't in my awareness of that XFL was going on. So I, I, I think the ratings kind of show that. I think week one had good ratings. Week two's kind of dropped off a little bit. I'm hopeful. I, I really, I'm to the point, though, I'm hopeful this league. It's a good product. Like, the, the presentation's good. The, the level of play is good enough. When, I, when it's on in front of me, I'm I enjoying what I see. So I, I'm rooting for this league right now. I'm not going to be heartbroken if it doesn't make it, but I'm rooting for it. But, um, yeah, I'm glad the defenders won. They're 2-0. They shut out New York, which was awesome. 
They play 0-2 L.A. this week, Sunday night at 6. So I, I will try to keep that in my mind. Um, but uh, it's out there at L.A. too. That's uh, a but win. But the thing that made me most excited this weekend was uh, uh, – hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go to this other game, you missed it. The big storyline of the XFL is from this game. One, because it was potentially an Eastern Conference preview uh, championship preview. Eastern Conference, yeah. Right. But <laughs> New York and D.C. were potentially the, you know, those were the two favorites. And I think we yeah. figured out which one because uh, D.C. just took them to the woodshed. But because they took them to the woodshed and because you have all this access with the XFL immediately, <laughs> Matt McGloin goes nuclear oh, yeah. and just totally annihilates everybody but himself. Worst <laughs> game I've ever been involved with. Worst yeah. game I've oh, ever been goodness. involved with. At no point did I feel like we were going to have success today. Going into the yeah. locker room at halftime, he said, we need to change the entire game plan. Yeah. Uh, yelling at some teammates at some point. So, needless not, to say, he not, didn't finish the game. And big not surprise. Future. Yeah, big surprise sure after the game. Yeah. The coach says... Uh, we're going to change starting quarterbacks. And I was like, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> like, and you heard Greg McElroy talk about it too in the broadcast. He's like, you know, some of those maybe, but some of those Matt McGloin's not throwing to wide open receivers. Some of those he's hitting defenders. He threw into triple coverage the one I Yeah, one so I it's not, Matt McGloin can say what he wants, but some of those were bad on his part. Cardell Jones looked pretty good. Uh, the DC defenders do look good. They won twenty seven nothing. Now I'll let you what, move on to your big. What was that? But what was that sale on Cardell Jones that he's never lost a game like regular season high, game through uh, high school? Like oh maybe yeah maybe no because he won the national championship when he started yeah yeah I don't think he lost no in he's thirteen and zero yeah I mean it's it that's a crazy stat I I used to have that kind of stat because I was on an undefeated JV Riverheads team and then won state the next year on varsity so I had that kind of stat going for a while. Um, and I think me and Matt McGloin might be in the same, be in the same boat. Uh, or no, not that's that's Cardell Jones. But yeah. uh, I went the Matt McGloin way. Cardell Jones still has a chance to to win more games. Yeah. Because uh, I, yeah, I haven't won uh, any games since uh, since high school, and I really wasn't that involved in the ones we did win then. Uh, but what I was excited about was my hokey Cam Phillips, who I really enjoyed at Virginia Tech. Really liked him. Uh, he was a guy that stood out for Tech. He had big plays. Um, he was always on the field with Ford, who kind of was the number one guy, and Cam Phillips seemed to get a lot of opportunity because of that. Um, he represented our team well at uh, ACC Media Days and stuff. I'm really glad he's having so much success so far in the XFL. Three touchdowns this week go with his touchdown from last week, four touchdowns on the season for Cam Phillips, and and he's playing really well. And I, I hope this gets NFL teams interested in what he could do. I know he still has season to play here in the XFL, but you'd have to think, he'd be worth bringing in for a tryout and see what he can do for your NFL team next year. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that helps him is he does have a really, really good quarterback Tucker who, uh, the NFL has some of those. Yeah. comes from temple. Yeah. I'm saying <laughs> he's lighting it up, but he's getting the benefit too of having a good quarterback to help him. And that's good. I'm not saying he's the reason yeah. that cam Phillips is doing good. I think cam Phillips is a good player. Yeah. Uh, I said, Tucker, it's yeah. PJ Walker, not PJ Tucker. Um, PJ Tucker's yeah, basketball. Yeah. P.J. Walker uh, from Temple is is looking really good, and that Houston team looks really good. And so that would be the exciting thing, right, is if it's Houston versus D.C. and whatever they're going to call the XFL championship. It would be in Houston because they decided uh, in a weird way the XFL picked where the championship would be uh, last week, I guess trying to see 
what fan bases they thought would come out and support and what facilities maybe are best equipped. They picked Houston for this first XFL championship game. And so I, I guess Houston has the ability to maybe host uh, the XFL championship, which would be kind of cool for Cam Phillips. Uh, but I'm rooting for him. Like you said, he had three yeah. touchdowns this week. He's got four on the season. Uh, but that he's really good, and he's definitely – I mean, like I said, P.J. Walker's helping him, but he's also helping P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker looks like an MVP yep. candidate because of what Cam Phillips has been able that's, to do when the ball's thrown his way. Man, that sidearm pass that he threw, like, underneath the defender's arm, that was, that was sweet. Yes. All right, so NASCAR happened Monday night. We're recording Monday night, and uh, just listener, let you know, uh, Ryan Newman had a bad wreck at the end of that. We were recording where we still don't know what happened. So as you're listening to this, you probably do know what happened, but obviously our thoughts with him, it looked terrible, immediately had a bad feeling when I saw it, um, and then the Fox broadcast um, didn't help uh, put any of those uh, worries to, to bed, uh, probably with lack of information. But uh, So off the top, thoughts there. Hopefully reports are at, at the time you're listening to this are better than what we're afraid of now. But Danny Hamlin won back-to-back Daytona 500s, uh, and I like Danny Hamlin. And I think last week you kind of mentioned him as one of the ones you're kind of looking at to possibly win this thing. So uh, I think you had that. I did. Uh, Danny Hamlin's really good. I root for him because he's from Virginia. He was in a position to do well in this race late in the race. Um, I saw uh, about, oh gosh, I guess about the midway point of the race, and then I went and had to do some other stuff around the apartment before we got recording tonight. So I come back right at the end. I see the overtime and, uh, I, that's about all I saw. <laughs> yeah. I saw that Matt, Bedina, uh, De Benedetto got caught up in a wreck earlier in the race, which was kind of frustrating. Uh, he was still on the track though. A lot of these other guys, uh, my Bubba Wallace was out. Quinn Hoff was out. So a lot of the other guys were out of the race due to wreck. So at least your guy was still in it. Yeah. I got to see the end of segment one too. So that was where I was really impressed with De Benedetto's driving because he went from 12th where he wouldn't have gotten any points uh, because they do segments, which I still don't like that. But anyway, uh, the top 10 at the end of each segment get points. Uh, So he went from 12th in a lap, just weaving in and out of cars to move up to 8th, which was really impressive driving there from him because that's a – Daytona's a hard place. Uh, The draft helps you, but once you're out of the draft and you're trying to make that pass, you got to do it quick and you have to have people help you or you have to hop back in line. And he did a good job getting around some cars when he didn't necessarily have help and getting back in line quickly to avoid getting caught in a hole and getting dropped back there. So he ended up eighth there at the end of the first segment, which was really cool. But at the end of the race, there was a wreck with Chase Elliott. So that made a second overtime. And then uh, there it just looked like, and I'm I'm blanking on the name now, but uh, I think it was Blaney. Got into Brian Blaney got into him. Yeah, got into the back of Ryan Newman there because him and Newman had passed Denny Hamlin. So Denny Hamlin looks like he tries to bump Ryan Blaney a little bit. Well, Ryan he, he Blaney got up, got up in him. Yeah, but it's it's a trying to bump nothing him up egregious. closer to there try was nothing to egregious. No, no, no. I don't think anybody was trying to wreck anybody. Uh, Ryan Blaney trying to make a move. And Jeremy, uh, Ryan Newman comes down, and then, yeah, like you said, it it got a little crazy there. He ends up going airborne, uh, and he got hit hard by another car there. And uh, I, I did not catch the name of that driver who, who hit him, but uh, that driver had nowhere to go. I mean, that's the dangerous thing when you're going 200 miles an hour 
and there's a car flying, it's coming back down, and you're heading right toward it. It's not like you have the ability to try to swerve out of the way. Uh, he got hit hard, and like you said, hopefully he's okay. I mean, coming back, yeah, is circling back with that. Um, you see all the reaction on Twitter, and people are crazy on Twitter, but people are like judging Danny Hamlin for celebrating the win. I don't and know what these, you wanted to do. These guys aren't watching. They're not watching the TV. They don't know everything we know. They know, he knows he's wrecked, but he know he could just be getting out of the car down there. He's just won the Daytona 500. Um, I did say he's won one before. As soon as he knows anything that's going on, he needs to calm down. And I think he did. I think once he got back to pit road where there's more people around, I, you could see a definitely different Denny Hamlin there. Um, it's the sport. It is the sport. And, and as much safety as they have in there, I think they start, they have to believe they're invincible. They have to ignore the, the risks that they're taking to take the chances they need to, to win races. They do. So his mentality, getting out of that car and celebrating a win, I had no problem with it. I think Joe Gibbs apologized as soon as things kind of looked that they were aware that things were more serious down there. I, I think people are too touchy with all this. And, and these guys down there don't know every little thing that's going on. Like we are gathering just with our sight on the TV. So I'm just not quick to judge these guys for celebrating at the wrong time. And, and it seemed like he got calmed down and, and things were subdued on, on pit road when they were celebrating there after a few minutes. I'm, I'm not with those people. Look, yeah. he's not celebrating that Ryan Newman's in an accident and could be seriously no. injured. Uh, are we telling yeah. Michael Waltrip he shouldn't have celebrated the year he won the Daytona 500 when Dale Earnhardt died? No, no one is saying that. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. wouldn't say he, that. It's the biggest race of the season. On, yeah, it's the biggest race of their Waltrip. year. It's yeah. a huge career accomplishment when you win a Daytona 500. And when you win as many as Denny Hamlin has done, that's an even bigger career accomplishment. And so, yeah, he's allowed to enjoy winning the race. I, look, yeah. obviously we don't know the extent of Ryan Newman's injuries. Uh, you know, you see on Twitter that he uh, reportedly was awake when they were taking him to the hospital, which is a good sign. But again, that's seen, that's Twitter. Seen other reports, the opposite of that, though, too, is what scares me. So. Right. So you're waiting to hear back. Uh, and but it's. Denny Hamlin is not celebrating the fact that Ryan Newman was in an accident and could be hurt. He's he's celebrating the fact that he was able to win the race. Uh, and I'm okay with that. I, I don't have a problem with him he's enjoying the, the moment. People are just too touchy. The other night at the Oscars, um, Shay LaBeouf, who's a crazy Shia person. LaBeouf, but yes. he's whatever. He's on stage with um, um, uh, a disabled kid that he was in a movie with that he's friends with and he's not a kid he's a man and um when he went to read his part he kind of had a second of pause and it looked like the you know he was having a tough time and it, everybody thought uh shiloh was like laughing at the guy he wasn't laughing at him, but he's like friends with the guy like everybody's so quick to tell other people how to act how to react that they don't even know the situations that, of what's going on and i just it gets my nerves uh, that this immediate backlash of people for reacting wrong like just just chill out like once you know that the people know what's going on and then they're acting terrible then judge them but wait just just chill a second before you get all up over somebody that's that drives me nuts i agree with you Lynn. i think people just need to calm down and just worry about themselves i agree well we're a podcast though and we're not going to worry about ourselves let's worry about james Kasack here in the b block as we're happy to have him on for an interview
All right, next here on the Yak Sports Podcast, we have James Kasak, uh, former Riverheads Gladiator soccer player, state champion, uh, former Hokie player, uh, and then recent draftee to the MLS and still making moves and finding out what he's doing for the rest of his soccer career. Man. But James, uh, thanks for coming on with us, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So I just want to start where, uh, you know, it's the closest to home, and I'm a fellow Gladiator. Um, you know, <laughs> What what kind of support have you had from home? And, and I'm, I'm sure you hear people rooting for you more than just your parents. Uh, you know, as a Reds gladiator and led them to a state championship, um, you know, the support you've had through college and now, you know, moving on past college and, and playing as a pro. Talk about some of the support from home from Riverheads. Oh, yeah, I've definitely had a fair share of people reach out to me, which is awesome, like old players, coaches, and everyone. And- just to see like all my old friends from there, I'm still in contact with. And it's awesome just to see and hear from people that I haven't talked to in a while, say congratulations and stuff like that. That's awesome. When you think back to that time and, and obviously we'll get to the current stuff soon, but you know, what are some of the memories that stand out the most from, from your time playing for Riverheads? You know, you, you had some big moments with state championships and some deep, runs even other than that year talk about some of the moments that you think of first when you think back to playing then Jeez, i had a lot of fun <laughs> a lot of fun <laughs> um probably the biggest one is just winning the state championship like in the last game just to finally finish off and go the season 22 and 0 finally finish off with a win after getting to like the finals and the semifinals the past couple of years it was it was relieving to finally win Gotcha. So you played for Virginia Tech, and I'm also a Hokie, so uh, we share that. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously I was following you. I know a lot of local people were following you down at, at Tech. Um, talk about your time at Tech and, and you know, playing at, at that high level of, uh, you know, Division One soccer. I loved it. I mean, I loved everything about Blacksburg, and <clears throat> what came with it was obviously the soccer in the school, which was great. But the soccer was just to be able to do that every day and be in the ACC. So every game was challenging and to be able to travel and just make so many new friends of people from all over the country and even from all over the world. It's, it was such a good experience and honestly prepared me well for life and everything after. James, what was it like being drafted in that, that moment where you found out you were drafted to the MLS? It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, my name popped up and I saw it and I like, I was speechless. You know, I called my mom and she was speechless and stuff started happening so quickly. I couldn't even use my phone. It was blowing up so much. And like, I was trying to like talk to people and then I was getting calls from other people trying to like set up, like I ended up leaving, uh, Two days after, you know, they bought me a plane ticket and I left. So everything happened so quickly. It was crazy. I, yeah, it's, I mean, that's that's got to be a, a cool moment and to, um, you know, have a have a in with a national sports organization and um, and league with the MLS. You know, talk about, um, you know, your time there in Kansas City and, and doing some of that. Uh, preseason camp and then also get into what you're uh what you're doing now and and 
and what you're doing here post post college soccer. <laughs> so I ended we ended up um, I think I left Blacksburg on Wednesday or Wednesday or Thursday and we so I got down there we had like medicals and everything and like a couple fitness tests and then we went straight to leave for the first leg of preseason in Arizona which was unbelievable and we had like two a day practices that were challenging definitely some of the most challenging practices I've had and of course more fitness tests and pretty much just getting back into things with the whole team and then the way like in the MLS it's crazy how like the all the players are treated and how like pretty much everything is done for them and we had some like like everything at the hotel the breakfast and food was awesome and just the whole experience was unbelievable so uh you know as we were coming on um you were you're mentioning you're uh practicing with a different team now talk about you know what you're up to now and and what you're looking forward uh, to ahead now yeah so i ended up uh parting ways with like the sporting organization and i just wanted to try out a new opportunity with a different team that like needs a player in my position and is a place where I think I can like develop more and find uh, like more playing time in my rookie year, which is like probably the most important thing. So I left and then I'm in Alabama now, Birmingham with a team trialing and going through like another preseason. And when, when does that season start? It starts in March as well. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So we will be uh, looking for you out of, out of that team out of Birmingham. That'll be, uh, hopefully we can, you can catch on there and, and uh, keep it going playing soccer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, James, we'll get you out of here on the same kind of questions that we ask all of our guests. Uh, when you're not working on soccer or, well, really that's, that's your craft. Uh, what are you, are you watching anything on Netflix or TV or anything that you would recommend to our listeners? Am I watching anything on Netflix? Um, <laughs> or, or any streamer, any, any, any entertainment stuff, non, non sports that you would uh, recommend. Um, <laughs> that's, I'm watching a TV show called Nathan for you. It's a Hulu show. About a comedian, which is pretty good. Okay. Very it won like a it won like a Golden Globe, didn't it? I think I think it uh, is pretty good. I heard it's the funniest show I've ever watched. It's hilarious. Wow. Okay, well, we have to that. check it out. <laughs> well, James, thanks for coming on with us. Uh, you know, you're living you're living my dream. Uh, you know, I played sports in high school, and and that's where it ended. And uh, you you kept it going after Riverheads made everybody proud playing at Tech and still playing past college is just incredible and we're uh we're really proud from you back in uh stanton and uh we wish nothing but the best for you thank you guys so much all right time for the debug but thanks again to james Kasak there as he continues his soccer career and we're all rooting from there but let's get into the d block as what is dominating my life and i'll jump in first uh, Little League basketball's wrapping up uh, up at Riverheads. The uh, 
Little League girls black team has been continuing to play well. We had a big crowd for the game on Saturday. Uh, listener Ron was there with his family. Um, just just a whole lot of basically Thanksgiving dinner was at at the game cheering oh, on Peyton, and uh, she didn't disappoint. She had all kinds of steals. Uh, unable to count how many steals she had. Four buckets, leading scorer for the black team in this game. Uh, might be because she kind of hogged the ball a touch in a couple spots, but. You know, proud of her. Um, I'm glad she knows when she has to take control and just put the ball in the bucket. Wow. And uh, But, no, it was a good effort by everybody. We got some other players on our team with buckets that uh, hadn't been scoring a lot this year, so we were happy to see that. And the team we were playing was, uh, you know, we played them early in the season, and uh, it was a good separation between them. And then this game was really close, so they've gotten a lot better too. So it's uh, the future is bright for Riverheads basketball. Uh, despite my efforts as, as coach, uh, but it was a good uh, week. Ne- this coming week is the last game, so I'm going to miss uh, this this version of this team. We have a lot of good girls on the team this year again, um, but I'm looking forward to see them all grow older and get better. But we've also been doing with our middle child, she's been at the Little Dribblers at the YMCA, mm-hmm. and tonight they had their last night. That's where I was instead of watching Daytona here tonight. And uh, uh, Coach Mickens, it's so cool that these kids get to interact and experience. I mean, he's the head coach for Stanton's basketball team. You know, my kids go to Riverheads, but they see him play Stanton. And then, and uh, it's just cool that they get that experience. And a lot of these kids that won't play for Stanton still will have that connection with Coach Mickens. And he does a, such a good job with it. And he's really good with the kids. And uh, and Coach Telly, one of the assistants on that team too, he, uh, he was really involved tonight as they were doing uh, – you have 30, 30 kids all um, – preschool age and you split them up and do some five on five runs for a little bit. You can imagine how crazy that was, but uh, coach Telly kept them going and it was good to see. So um, uh, appreciative of what the Y offers there. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm kind of disappointed that little league basketball is wrapping up now and moved to these spring sports, but uh, it's been, it's been a good run. And uh, my daughters have gotten better at basketball these last couple months. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. And, I hope this won't get taken as a shot at any other coaches in the district because I'm not intending it that way. But Coach Mickens just seems like the best kind of guy to be doing something like that too. Um, and so it's great he to see him in involved. Grew up in it too at the Y. I mm-hmm. think that adds a layer that like he he's he's been in that spot. Like he he's always been at the Y for years and years. So uh, yeah, he has the right temperament for it. Really for these for these preschool kids that do a lot of stuff that looks nothing like basketball. <laughs> he he really does handle them well, and it's fun to see. Yeah, I was getting some. I was getting some information, and even a a picture from Rob, uh, who was at the game, and uh, I was getting some unconfirmed reports of Leland being a real encourager. So I was like, "No, that doesn't sound like Leland." I'm a positive. I'm a positive coach. That yeah. doesn't sound like Leland at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I mean obviously coaching kindergarten to second grade. Sure. It's all positive, and um, I mean I think I probably clap as much for the other team scoring as I do our team because. Oh, the one good thing about my team, they play hard defense, and that's what really coached first. So even when we're giving up buckets, most of the time we're right there. We're doing the right thing. The kid just makes a shot. So a um, little bit of a hit it, check. Like the ref's not going to call it. Uh, I have had a little, <laughs> call, a little issue with the referees. I'm never going to have an issue with the referees at this level. Um, sometimes we do have the referees that just kind of let them uh, just dribble it up the floor instead of throwing the ball in it. And some of the, some of the simple stuff in basketball we got to get right now. And that's been my only uh, comments to the referees. It's like, Hey, 
make them throw the ball in right. Like make them make them do that part of basketball right. Uh, but they're out there um, doing good service to the community, uh, coming out there refereeing these games, and and it's cool for the for the kids to see those guys play on you know Tuesday and Friday nights on the court. So uh, a lot of good stuff around Little League basketball and all throughout there. Yeah, I mean I'm talking Riverheads and at the Y, all the different high schools have good little leagues, mm-hmm. good people there, and uh, that's why we see our teams. You know, we've seen a couple state championship runs uh, out of the boys and girls in this area in recent years because we have these good people in the community pushing this Little League up. All right, well, let's go from Little League basketball to a player who's playing like a Little Leaguer in the major leagues. Uh, Chris Davis reported to camp uh, with the rest of the Orioles, so now the entire Orioles team is in camp uh, as of today. And uh, Chris Davis saw the Astros and Rob Manfred's comments from the day before and was trying to one up him, I guess, because he talks about how he thought about retiring at the end of the year, but then he talked to his wife about it and he thinks he still has some stuff in the tank. Uh, his wife told him that there's no way he's going to keep up this below average run he's on, which as one of the people on Twitter said, below average is nice. Historically, she- historically worst is accurate. He has been. She must want him around as much as you want him around. She wants him around because she wants that paycheck. Wants if he retires, if he retires, he doesn't get the rest of that money. That's what it is. It's. I think I could hang around for seventeen million dollars a year. Yeah. So he's bad. Uh, he's going to be bad because he's not changing his approach. Brandon Hyde trying to do his best at not throwing a guy under the bus yet this year because it's a guy he got into a spat with already last year. Uh, you know, oh, he looked great in the cage today. Cool. It, again, that's not news. Brandon Hyde, that's not news. If Chris Davis didn't look good in the cage today, that's news. Chris Davis hitting the ball well in a batting cage, not news. Not interested. Uh, Chris Davis is going to be bad again this year because that's what Chris Davis is. Uh, he was also asked if... Uh, he would be okay with accepting a part-time role. And he said, no, I still see myself as an everyday player. Uh, and I think until it's proven otherwise, I'm going to consider myself an everyday player. Well, looking at the numbers the last two years, it's been proven otherwise. You're not even a actual major leaguer. You're probably a minor leaguer, and I don't even know if you're a good one of those. So hopefully the Chris Davis experiment will be over soon. That's probably the biggest argument right now on Orioles Twitter is whether you keep him or not. Uh, if you're going to be bad, some people say if you're going to be bad no matter what, you keep him because you might as well see if he can figure it out. I am of the camp of you need to see what these young guys have, and so there's no room for a guy who can't hit at 200. Yeah. I just don't, I just don't follow Chris Davis as hard as you do, so I just don't have much to say there. But what – so you know that I do need to know. Okay, so I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible. And I'm going to compare it to the Houston Astros because we haven't talked about the Astros yet and all the nonsense out of there. Rob Manfred's comments about uh, they thought about stripping the title, but it's just a piece of metal and it seems really futile. <laughs> Hearing the commissioner of the league insult his own trophy is... Hmm. Ah. Uh, really special. Rob Manfred has gone from a guy who I thought, you know, he's doing stuff and the people who don't like him or people who don't like change to a guy who I'm like, okay, maybe he's actually not as competent as I thought. And he actually isn't over. Hey, his but head. if you, 
if you hit one of these guys, though, you're going to get more punishment than these guys got. So. Yeah. Oh, gosh. And then the excuse train coming out and, oh, Jose Altuve, he wasn't a part of this. We're like, all right, yeah. Carlos Correa, you tried to tell me that 2017 was the only year you cheated, too. And I already know that's not true. So I don't believe you. Um, yeah. Uh, so that whole thing is a mess. But people are saying no, they didn't strip the Astros. The Astros weren't punished, which Rob Manfred will tell you the public shame is punishment enough, which is, again, laughable. Rob, Rob Manfred, I'm, I'm on the Rob but Manfred don't out. Don't you feel bad? I, I am on the Rob <laughs> Manfred out train now uh, with those press conference that he had Sunday, I think it was. Just totally inept and totally tone deaf. Uh, you represent 30 owners, not one. And I would think the other owners would rally behind nothing happened to these guys. This is a problem. But apparently not because he still seems to be safe in his job. But the other sporting example of a team getting hit hard this last week was Manchester City, a team in the Premier League, also competes in the Champions League quite regularly. They violated what is called financial fair play rules. And I think I've talked about this very briefly before on the podcast. Financial fair play, or FFP, is in place so clubs don't spin themselves into bankruptcy because there is no salary cap. So basically what these rules are, if you're playing in the Champions League especially because these are UEFA rules, or what they call the Europa League, which is the tournament under that, uh, you need to be able to, when you factor in how much you're paying your players, how much you're playing your staff, and how much you've paid in transfer fees, which transfer fees, they don't do trades in soccer. You buy players. Uh, So when all that's done, that has to equal the amount of money that you made in tickets, sponsorships, uh, and selling players. Those things need to add up. And you can't lose a lot of money. You can, if you're the owner, put in a certain percentage of money to help make that kosher. The problem is Manchester City put in a lot more than that. And it's not necessarily the breaking of the FFP that got them in trouble here. It's that they lied about it. They covered it up and they basically gave them fake books to UEFA when they have to turn these in at the end of the year. UEFA figured this out because of a German sports magazine uh, that was doing an investigation. And when that got uncovered, they launched an investigation. The results of the investigation came back, and Manchester City just got told they are banned from the Champions League for two years, and they're fined 30 million pounds or 30 million euros, I believe. Uh, now, so, does that 30 million euros, or I mean, we had Brexit, so I don't, I don't even know where this goes. But anyway, uh, does that money go against them in the future of keeping it even? Like, is that a definite? I would imagine that, that will. Match? I would imagine yeah, that will. Think, Not being in yeah. the Champions League is going to hurt them because the Champions League is a huge, huge money event. It, just by qualifying, you get a lot of money. That's why these European teams are a lot of the same names going into these tournaments and going deep into these tournaments because once... Once you're in and once you make that extra money, that's, an, that's more advantage you have to spend money on players and coaches and improving your facilities and helping everything around you. When, when these other teams don't have that, it hurts them tremendously. So Manchester City for two years is not going to be able to participate in the Champions League. Now they are appealing to something called the Court of Arbitration in, in sport. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. 
but they are kicked out of the Champions League for the next two years as it stands right now. And now the English Premier League is doing their own investigation because there's also financial fair play rules in that league, which are pretty similar uh, to UEFA, and Manchester City lied on theirs. So I'm surprised that this happened, not because they broke the rules, but because of the corruption involved in European soccer. The owners of Manchester City, I've said it multiple times, uh, are part of the UAE government in uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Uh, they're very shady people. FIFA is a very shady organization. UEFA is no different. I figured the money would be able to make this go away. Apparently it's not. They've, they've hit them with this ban for lying, and we'll see what happens in the court of arbitration of sport when that appeal's done. But this is, this is a big deal, and people are saying it was going making the rounds on Twitter. Well, look how one team got punished for breaking the rules, and look how another team is being punished for breaking the rules. I'm guessing the reason it's not worse in MLB, and this would be the only thing Rob Manfred could stand on, is if he said the Astros were honest with me. Now, turns out, according to the Wall Street Journal, they weren't. So where this Manchester City stuff, when it came up this week, it just kind of went back to, I mean, I said when the Patriots were caught cheating again and all that, like, get these guys where they're not allowed to be in the playoffs. They already have the team under contract. They have these players under contract. They're going to have to play and then not make the playoffs. So then I said, Houston Astros, kick them out of the playoffs the next two years. That will hurt the players that play for them. I guess players that already moved on, it won't hurt them. But this would hurt most of the players. It would also hurt the organization that you're not going to sign any free agents next year because players want to play in the postseason. I mean, you're not going to sign any top-level guys. So I just, I, I guess you, you're not going to go back and change the, the punishment. I guess you're not going to do that. But I just wonder why that wasn't on the table. Why I think if like you find happen? out. You cheated, you cheated for the playoffs before. Now you're out. I think if you find out that there's more to it, then you could add to the punishment, but I the don't think Rob Manfred's. Yeah, Rob Manfred's not going to do that. Rob Manfred's a coward. He's not going to do that. Um, but I don't see it happening either. The other thing you mentioned with Manchester City is you kick them out of the playoffs for two years, or the Champions League for two years. So the other problem there that's going to happen for Manchester City is their coach might leave over this, uh, because he wants to win a Champions League. Yeah, well, can't good. do it for two Fine. more years. He might leave. There are players on that team that might leave because they've never won a Champions League at Manchester City. So they they might look and say, you know what? If we can't be in it for two years, that's two years of my career that's gone. I would like to play somewhere else. And um, that doesn't bother me there for that, the way that league operates. And plus, these players didn't make those decisions. It, it was the organization. Mm-hmm. So like that doesn't bother me for the players to have an opportunity to get out. Houston, uh, I mean, I guess they could trade players away or whatever, but you can't move around. You're not selling players. You're not you know, getting bought like you are in the soccer. So I I think it would be a fair punishment, at least one season. Say, all right, this year you're out and you have all these guys, you have Altuve, you have uh, all these guys that were on the team. Then they're not, you're not in the playoffs this year, no matter how good you play. And and then they're going to go out there and be show them, Hey, we're not cheating. And we finished the best record. and You don't let us in the playoffs. Fine, go do it. But you're not going to be in the playoffs. They're going to get hit. They're going to lead the league in hit by pitch. Um, Great. Uh, you know, obviously, you hope it's not dome shots, but you put it between the you numbers know, nice in the back. In the ribs. Yeah, yep, you put it in the, the ribs in the back. That's okay. Yep. These guys had yep, it coming. That's, that's the game, and I don't. There better not be big punishment for all that. I mean, that, that's the game. If you're not going to punish, if them, you're not going to police it, the players are going to police yeah. it. Yep, I am a full believer in that. 
all right, so what I know that you need to know, and I I'm fully think I'm telling you something that you need to know, uh, though I'm not going to change your mind or anything. I, I'm pretty positive you watched very minimal NBA All-Star Weekend whatsoever. Uh, I watched zero. Yeah, and that's what I expect. And I, and I don't think next year you'll watch anymore. But I will tell you, there was some entertainment value in what they had this weekend. And I think the highlight of it was the fourth quarter or the fourth period or whatever you want to call it of the All-Star Game on Sunday night. I'll say that saying that I watched pretty much none of the first three periods. So I am pretty confident that the last was definitely most interesting to me. But it was a competitive period of play where the teams had to start that period and the other team that ended up that didn't win, they were up. And so you had to get 24 more points than that. And it was like 157 or 167 or something like that. And LeBron's team had to make up nine points and then get to that number. And it made for a very interesting fourth period where there was competitive basketball being played by the best players on this earth that play the sport. And there was people taking charges. There was people going after loose balls. There was people arguing for uh, calls to go the right way. There was a block off the backboard against LeBron by Giannis. That was amazing that it happened. They had to review it because it was so bang, bang. It was an interesting, I watched the last five minutes of play and it took a while to do that uh, just with all that going on. But it was, it was as good of all-star basketball easily that I've watched in a long time. And it's better than most of the NBA that I watch uh, whenever I do catch it. So I will say the adjustment and plans there worked for the NBA for that fourth quarter. I don't know about the first three. And if it really made that much of a difference, it's nice that money's going places. Okay. But it made for an interesting period of basketball where those guys were on the court. They were really trying to win that game. It wasn't um, what we're used to where it turns into a dunk contest at the end of the game. It wasn't like that at all. And the, plus the strategy of trying to get to that 157 instead of a time period, um, it made it interesting. It was different than what we're used to seeing. Uh, you know, you saw them, their shot selection was different. Their, uh, the way they handled the end of that game was different because they were just trying to get to a number instead of running out the clock or, uh, or something like that. So I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was good. Um, I think they got something there that they can, they can kind of work with. Now it was a close game. I think if, if it, if the other team just started running away with it, maybe we're not saying that today, but it, that wasn't the case. So that was interesting. Um, the, uh, we watched the Saturday night cause I had friends in, we got done with the tech game and we, we turned over to that. Um, I could care less about the controversy for the dunk contest. Um, we watched it. The one dunk was amazing, but other than that, okay. The judges are ridiculous. Given everybody fifties, it's, it's just not what it used to be. I used to like the dunk contest when I was little. It's not that anymore, but there was some entertainment value there, I will say, because the two guys that were in the finals really were bringing some heat. And uh, I've watched probably enough of these dunk contests in the last 10 years. This was one of the, the better ones. Maybe not the best, but one of the better ones. So I'll give that credit. And the three-point contest, I don't. they added two spots on the three-point arc. You have the five racks. Well, in between the wings and the middle, they have the Mountain Dew ball that's worth three points. Yeah, that's stupid. Get rid of it. Stupid, no, stupid, it. stupid. Just shoot the five racks. You've already made one rack, all double balls. Fine. But just shoot the five racks and get out of there. And uh, But it was still fun to watch. I like the three-point contest, probably what we like the most out of the Saturday night. But overall, entertainment value out of All-Star Weekend that I enjoyed. And uh, I think the NBA has made a couple tweaks that, that have helped them. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I want to see if next year they try as hard in the All-Star game. I'm interested to see if it happens again next year. Yeah, I think this I, year and, there was a lot fine. going on with it. 
So I think there was a lot of extra motivation to win this one, but we'll see. I think in the past years that I've watched it when the games haven't been as good and they've been blowouts, it still seems like certain guys get motivated, particularly LeBron, get motivated to try to win the MVP or something. Um, I, I could see it being competitive again next year. I could, I could see it. I, I wouldn't shock me. Um, they're definitely going to go to a number next year. And if it's 24, fine. Like, you know, maybe they'd go to 25. So 24 is just a fine number. So um, that's uh, – I'm fine with all that. And it was good. It was a good watch. And I'll be interested to see how it goes again next year. I just end up winding up on those things every February for some reason. It's just, it's slow. It's winter. I just wind up on there in the background. Like on Friday night, I even had the Stars game, the uh, Future Stars game, not the not the celebrity game, but the uh, you yeah. know the first USA and versus year the world. Yeah. And that did end up like a dunk contest at the end with Zion trying to throw down some crazy stuff. But I just had it on the background of what we were doing. And I think that's what most of the time I have. This year I was sitting and watching Saturday night a little bit closer. And, uh, but it was fun. I mean, we liked it. I, it. It's still not probably appointment viewing, but it was better than it has been. All right. Well, not for me, but that's I'm fine. not watching. I'm probably watching as much uh, Orioles uh, regular season baseball this year as you're watching NBA All Star Game. So I won't be watching a lot of Orioles regular season baseball unless <laughs> Hassan strikes a deal with YouTube TV. But uh, uh, another topic oh, for I didn't another day. That. Another topic for another day. My problems with Masson. But that'll do it for us on this episode of Yak Sports Podcast. Because if I start that, we'll need another hour and a half. But the Yak Sports Podcast uh, with me and Leland. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Yak Sports Pod, on Facebook, Yak Sports Pod, or you can email us at yaksportspod at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribing on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify so you don't miss an episode. Share it with your friends. Tell them uh, about us. Ask us what you think, or ask us what we think about something we didn't talk about if you think we should have. If we missed something and we need to be talking about it more, tell us about it. Or tell us your takes on what we did say and if we're crazy. Uh, but We'll take a look at, uh, as we get closer, spring training will be starting soon. Uh, high school basketball will be getting ready for region tournaments. And again, as Leland said, we'll be talking about high school wrestling state tournament results next week. So be sure to tune in to all that, plus a little XFL, I'm sure, as well. So for Leland McRae, I'm Joe Deck. Thanks for listening, folks. Good night. You've been listening to Yak Sports, your Augusta County sports podcast.